You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. What a beautiful way to end that song. Thank you, those of, of you who have led us in singing today. And in, in one sense, the whole congregation is leading in singing. At the end of the day, we, we don't evaluate or ask how well people up front led. At the end of the day, we ask, how well did the church sing? That's our hope. That's our desire. Well, it's so good to be back with you. Last week, I was in Ohio celebrating 100 years um, of the Romanian Baptist Church of Akron, Ohio. And it has been such a joy to be with uh, the church that has brought and called my father to come and pastor them 18 years ago. And uh, it's, it's been great to be there, but it's even greater now to be back with you and share God's word this morning. Would you open scripture this morning to the book of Acts, uh, chapter six, uh, 15? We'll be reading from verse 35 to verse 41. As you're turning there, and if you don't have a, uh, a Bible, we encourage you to find a Bible in, in the chair in front of you. You may find it on page number 924. And as you turn there, I want to remind you that we are going through a series of sermons through the book of Acts. And uh, I pray that the Lord uses this series to help us as a congregation to know how should we be as a church? What should be, we, what should be our priorities? What should be our focus? How should we operate? How should we live life together as a congregation? Well, this morning, we'll be talking about caring for churches despite disagreement. Caring for churches despite disagreement. Acts chapter 15, verses 35 through 41. This is the word of the Lord. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. And we see and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you give us your word. Thank you that you have given us a revelation that comes from you to tell us about how can we as a congregation live in such a way that we might honor your name. Even when there are disagreements, even when there are differences, how can we as a congregation live in such a way that we can honor you? Father, pray that you would strengthen us this morning through the preaching of your word. Speak to our hearts, I pray, in the name of Jesus and through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our text this morning is quite short because of the topic that this text addresses. By the way, is it just me or are you hearing an echo as well? Nothing in the back? Okay, well, I just want to make sure you're, 
you're able to hear okay. Robert, if we could turn the volume a little down just to help. If I start getting excited, I don't want you guys to be out of here. <laughs> Stick around to the end, right? In the ESV, this passage that we read is uh, prefaced with a very interesting heading. It says, Paul and Barnabas separate. Not a very pleasant heading in the Bible. Not a very pleasant heading in the life of a church. When we hear people separating today in various circumstances of life, we seem to be no longer surprised by that reality. We might be surprised of the specifics, but not about the reality of separation. Couples separate, sometimes churches separate, often friends separate and have a fallout and thus part ways. Friends, it's a sign of, of our broken world that we separ see separation today in, in many situations. And, and the reality of separation in our world is a reminder of our sinfulness. Have you ever thought of that? The reality of separation because of disagreements or fights is a, is a reminder of the brokenness, of the sinfulness of our world. Do you remember where the first separation happened in the Bible? The Garden of Eden between the first couple and God. And the separation was executed by God himself because a holy God cannot stay in a relationship with sinful man. A friend, if, if you're visiting us this morning and I see some new faces, we, I don't know your background, I don't know if you're a Christian or, you're, or somebody invited you, uh, perhaps you're checking out Christianity and you're trying to make sense of what this Christian religion is about. I want to make sure that you understand that the Bible describes mankind to be in a state of separation. Separation from God Separation because of our sin. And this separation from our Creator affects our relationships with one another. Because of that, we often have a hard time in our relationships with other people as well. But, but the, worst, the worst separation is that we are separated from God. That is the source of all our separations. That is the source of all our other disagreements and, and troubles in life. And what's worse about this separation with God is that we cannot fix it. We cannot fix it. God has to provide a way to fix the separation. We can't. Because He's a holy God, He cannot just put our sin under the rug. He cannot just pretend like it hasn't happened. Because He's a holy God, He has to figure out a way to deal with our sin so that this separation might be fixed. Well, God has provided a way. God has provided a way through His Son, Jesus. It is because of His Son, Jesus, who took the punishment that our rebellion deserved. Because of that, and because of that alone, we can have hope of being restored. We can have hope of this separation to be fixed and, and, and resolved 
Friends, Christ alone is our only hope to have our separation between us and God resolved. This is, a, this is a hope, this is a news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins. Three days later, God resurrected him from the dead, and he exalted him to stand at the right hand of the Father. And one day this Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. But those who repent of their sin and those who turn to Jesus can have the hope of having their sins forgiven. So when that day comes, the judgment is no longer going to be a judgment of sin. It's going to be a day of great rejoicing. If you've never turned away from your sin to Christ, I pray that you would today, even now, as, we, as, we, as you hear this news, turn to God. Ask for God to deal with the separation. Ask for His mercy to take away the separation through Jesus, His Son. It's only by turning to God, it's only through the gospel that we can have hope of having the separation taken care of. And if you want to know more about what this means, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. Come and talk to me or, or talk to anybody at the end of the service. Engage someone about it. How you might know this hope in the gospel so that this separation can be resolved and fixed. But when we turn to God, when we turn to our Creator, and the separation that exists between us and Him is absolved, there's a hope, there is a major side effect that the separation between us, between believers, is also resolved. So that Christians are no longer living lives separated from other people. And even when there's tension, even when there's disagreement, there's a way to deal with that. So that separation doesn't have to be troublesome and wearisome and sinful and, and hard. Well, this morning, we come to the realization that separation happened, disagreement and separation happened, even between Apostle Paul and Barnabas, between two giants of the faith. Disagreement knocked on the door of their relationship. So how, how do they deal with it? And what can we learn from this story as we hear and learn of their parting of ways on the second missionary journey? Well, as we look at the story, there is one major danger of how people often apply this passage. There's a dangerous way of applying this passage. And let me put it out for you. It's this. This separation, this passage, has often been used by some believers, um, as a biblical reference, as a biblical license to justify disagreements and to justify separation in church or among believers. Have you ever heard people refer to this passage as, yeah, even in the book of Acts they had disagreements and they had to part ways. If you've not heard those comments, blessed be you. Uh, if you've heard them, I want to I talk about it right here and right now. There's other passages in the New Testament that speak about disagreements in church or disagreements about, among believers. For instance, let me just mention two references. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is addressing two prominent ladies in the church in Philippi uh, who had disagreements among them. And Paul writes to them, I write, I entreat Judea, and I entreat Synthache to agree in the Lord. Disagreements should be dealt with. 
in the Lord. Another passage, it's James chapter 4, the passage we read earlier in the service, uh, in which uh, James identifies, well, first of all, says there are quarrels among the believers to whom James is writing. And James says, where do these quarrels come from? And he says they come from the passions that are at war within these believers. The fights come from the fact that they are worldly, that they are so proud, and as such they are an adulterous people. So that James had to say to them in the most blunt of terms, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see, for, for the people James wrote, the friendship with the world was showing up in the way they treated their brothers and sisters. Their disagreements and their quarrels, their fights, showed that they were actually more friends with the world than friends with God. It shows up in our relationships. They spoke evil against one another, so James tells them to cleanse their hands and to purify their hearts, to draw near to God, to humble themselves before the Lord. All this was needed so their grumblings and fights against one another would stop. Stop the grumbling. Stop the, the arguing, the fighting. The people James addressed needed to recover the wisdom that came from above. He said earlier in chapter 3, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So many of the disagreements that happen among believers are due to sinful attitudes, are due to impure hearts, so that what comes in the package of such disagreements are oftentimes personal attacks, slander, backstabbing, uncharitable attitudes, unfactual accusations towards one another, unwillingness to love as Christ loved us, unwillingness to consider other believers higher than ourselves. So, friends, many disagreements among believers are simply the fruit of of the sinful flesh. They're simply the fruit of, of our worldliness. And occasionally people point to Acts 15 to legitimize their, their disagreements. In Acts 15, we see something else. In Acts 15, we see something totally different. Disagreement and separation um, is not a biblical license to justify any disagreement among believers. So let's look at what this passage is really about. Um, three points I want to bring out this morning. A common focus on the Word of God. A common focus on the Word of God. Look at verse 35. Look at what of both of these brothers were doing in Antioch uh, around the time that, that these disagreements showed up. Um, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the Word of the Lord with many others also. Notice this common focus for Paul and Barnabas, teaching and, and preaching. And by the way, the, the word for preaching is really the word um, evangelizing. They were teaching and evangelizing 
along with many others also. Um, sometimes people will, will break these two ver- uh, verbs in, in different activities as if teaching is just for believers, um, evangelizing is only for unbelievers. But there are places in the Bible where both of these words are used together so that Paul and Barnabas were, were both teaching and evangelizing together. Um, We live in a day and age when we love specializing. People specialize in their areas of focus, what they're really good at. And even even, uh, in in church ministry and public speaking, we we specialize between people who are gifted with teaching the Word, people who are gifted with evangelism. Friends, there's a sense in which what Paul and Barnabas are doing here in Antioch, they're doing both. There's no such division of, of labor. When they're teaching the Word, they're also sharing the gospel. When they're sharing the gospel, they're also teaching the word. It goes hand in hand together. Also, it's interesting that it's not just Paul and Barnabas that are doing this. Did you notice that interesting phrase at the end of verse 35? With many others also? In other words, the task of teaching and evangelizing is not just a task of of one or two or select few in the church, the leaders of the church. It, It was not just a task of the senior pastor or other ministers, but it was the task carried by many others also. Friends, I got a question for you. What would happen, or what would have to happen in our church for this to be true at Park Hills? That many others also would be spending their time and would be giving focus to teaching, and evangelizing the word of the Lord. What would happen? And I'm not talking here about uh, extending or, or hiring new staff. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm simply talking about men and women in our congregation to be, to be at that kind of level and, and readiness to be teaching and evangelizing the word of the Lord with many others also. What, what I'm encouraged by the church of Antioch is that there, was, there were many people who were doing this. This was their focus. It was the focus of, of the whole congregation. Friends, let's pray that this would happen at Park Hills. Let's pray that there would be many people also who would be engaged and focusing on teaching and evangelizing the word of the Lord. That's the first characteristic we see. The second characteristic is a common desire to care for the churches. Look at verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. It says here, after some days, this is not talking about literally a few days. We know that by this time, Silas was ready to go with Paul because of the disagreement. Well, Silas had been sent to Jerusalem back. Apparently, by the time this happens, Silas, Silas came back to Antioch. So it could have been a few weeks. It could have been a few months. This is just a phrase that, that speaks after some time, after some days. Paul gets the idea. Well, let's go and, and visit the churches that we preach the gospel to. And this desire, this initiative to visit the believers, um, here's what, what it is not. It is not a church tourism trip. You know how sometimes we go on mission trips and just go to just to see how, what's going on in other parts of the world. And, and sometimes mission trips end up being more church tourism than, than a real spiritual blessing to the other believers. 
Or sometimes we think of the spiritual blessing is, is for us, those who go. And oftentimes, we end up being more blessed. And, and there is mutual blessing as well. But here Paul is initiating this trip for the sake of, of doing them spiritual good. Of, of, of blessing them with some spiritual benefits. Uh, this verb of, of going to visit was actually used earlier in chapter 15 in verse 14 when James described how God had visited the Gentiles to take a people for his name. The same word is now used when Paul says to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers to see how they're doing. The passage doesn't tell us exactly what Paul was wanting to experience, was what, what Paul was looking for. But if we remember what he did on a prior trip and what he will do on, on this trip and what he will teach in the rest of the book of Acts, we know that Paul was interested to see whether these believers were continuing the faith, to see whether they are protected and fed by the shepherds that him and Barnabas have appointed on the first missionary journey. In Acts 20, Paul will give the elders of the church in Ephesus clear instructions how to care for the church over which God put them as, as overseers. So we know that Paul's heart was a heart filled with a desire for the spiritual well-being of the members of these churches. It's amazing that the initial desire behind the second missionary journey was to care for the well-being of the churches that had been recently formed. Friends, let me apply this for us. What does it mean for us to have a heart for the well-being of other churches around us? Uh, let me just point out to you that in the last two years, in our own Austin Baptist Association, there had been at least two churches that I'm aware of that had closed down their doors. How can we encourage and strengthen other churches, both in our own areas and in other parts of the world? Do we have a heart for the well-being of other churches in our area and other churches around the world? Or are we just consumed with what's happening just here? We, we, we have to have a heart for the well-being of what's happening in other churches around us as well. Of some of you who are here, perhaps you, you've been attending our church in the last few years, you may not know this part of, of the history of our church in, 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 in the past. At some point in, in the past, this, this congregation was on life support. We, we were at a point we were not sure if we're going to make it. And the, this church, the leadership of this church, reached out to another local church in Austin. And that church, God blessed them with this heart desire to be a blessing to other churches that were needing encouragement and strength. So they sent a bunch of members with their ties and their presence to come and be a part of, of our congregation until we get back on our feet and, we, and until we... We can get back to a normal, sustainable life. Friends, I pray that we as a congregation might have that blessing to return that favor to some other churches in Austin, in other places. That we would have a heart, not just for what's happening here in our church, but what's happening around us, in other churches, in other, with other believers. Now, for that to happen, strengthening of churches happens only through the word of the Lord. 
That means we must have members who are ready to teach and evangelize. We don't want to just send people with their checkbooks. That's not, that's not the, the greatest need. The need is for people who are ready to teach and evangelize, to infuse the, the churches that are struggling or that need strengthening, to infuse them with the word of the Lord. People, men and women who can speak the word of God. That's why it's so key that we take an aggressive and deliberate approach to equipping one another, to be fruitful, to be ready, to be discipling one another. So when we hear of needs around us in Austin or other places, and the Lord calls some of us to go and, and bless for a season some other churches, that we would gladly do it for the benefit and the strengthening of other churches. Well, after two common things, a common focus on the word of the Lord, a common desire to care for churches, we now come to examine a difference. A difference between Paul and Barnabas. Was it a big difference? A different view uh, on taking John Mark on this second journey. Let's talk about it. Look at verse 38. Paul thought best not to take the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And this desertion was, was mentioned, referenced in Acts 13, uh, verse 13. The text doesn't tell us why Barnabas wanted to take John with him. It only tells us the reasons Paul had not to take him. Uh, it's possible for, for Barnabas, uh, he wanted to take John Mark because, oh my goodness, Barnabas was just a son of encouragement. He was a man who, who wanted perhaps to give a second chance. He was a man who, who was looking for, for people whom he could invest into and build up in the midst of failing. After all, it was Barnabas who went and sought Saul in Tarsus. Do you remember? Uh, it's possible that Barnabas just had that gift of, of taking potential and encouraging it and investing in it. And he was not going to give up just after one failure. Another reason why Barnabas was, may have wanted to take John Mark was because John Mark was his cousin. Colossians 4.10 tells us. And most likely this is what it's referring to. Now, was it bad for Paul to refuse to take John Mark? We don't know. Was it bad for Mark to insist on taking John Mark? We don't know. The text does not give us any indication uh, of, of who is right or wrong in this. So both Paul and Barnabas had their reasons for their views. None of them gave in, so they chose to form two teams. They separate in embarking on this trip. Now imagine, Paul and Barnabas had a long friendship, long partnership in the gospel. It was Barnabas who went to get Saul from Tarsus to come and bring him to help him to serve the church in Antioch with the word of God. It was Barnabas who took uh, Paul to Jerusalem to introduce him to the apostles. The two of them were called together by the Holy Spirit to go on the first missionary journey. They were together in Lystra when Paul was stoned near to death and Barnabas didn't desert him then. Together they were sent by the church in Antioch to Jerusalem to figure out this theological issue about circumcision. And together they went back to deliver the news. 
And together they were focusing on the word of the Lord and preaching and teaching the word of the Lord. But now they separate. What should we make of this? At least there are at least two two things we can we can look at this. First, as a great warning. Um, John Calvin says about it that it ought to make this event, it ought to make all the godly afraid for just causes. Uh, seeing a light occasion, seeing that a light occasion did separate them, says Calvin, who had long time amid so great trials retained unity, how easily may Satan cause those to be divided who have either none or at least a cold desire to foster peace. If, if this separation happened among them, who are so close, how much more can it happen among us today? That's one way. We can, we can take this passage as a, as a warning. But I think there's another way we can take this passage. Um, that we can take it as a model for when disagreement does happen and when separation does happen. Not just a warning, but as a model. What, what can we learn positive about this negative experience? What can we learn positive about this negative experience? Well, a few things I think we can, we can see here. First of all, it was not a personal separation. It was a separation specific to that second missionary journey. This was not a personal rejection of the other believer. Uh, the separation was simply how to execute this trip. So often when we get into disagreements, we quickly attack the other person. So that separation is not only about a particular issue, but it becomes a personal separation. In disagreements, we attack other people, not just the issues. Now, had they canceled this trip, had both of them said, you know what, we're not going to separate over this issue, we're, not just, we're just not going to go on this trip. I don't know what would have happened, but I presume, this is my own pure thoughtfulness here, I think they would have stayed in the church of Antioch together, working together, continuing to preach the word of the Lord. I don't think there would have been relational damage as a result of them uh, continuing to stay in Antioch, had they done that. Paul's affection for Barnabas is seen by the fact that Paul will mention Barnabas' name in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And there Paul associates himself with Barnabas as being on the same, term, on the same team. So when we have disagreements, how can we have them without attacking the other person, keeping it only to the issue at hand? This also this uh, separation, another thing we can learn from, uh, is that it did not cause a split in the church of Antioch. It's important um, that the church of Antioch dealt with it in, in a way that did not cause trouble for it. So often, members of churches hear about disagreements among church leaders, and it's so easy for the members to start taking sides with whom do they agree, who's right, who's wrong, Right? And, and it's so easy when that starts happening for division to show up among the church members. Remember Corinth? How they were dividing and talking about who belongs to who? Praise God, in Antioch, that didn't happen. It could have. It didn't. 
In verse 39, we're told that Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Verse 40, we're told that Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Some interpreters sing that here. The whole church sides with, with Paul and Silas because we don't read that the church commended Barnabas and John Mark in the same way that they, they commended Paul and, and Silas. But, but that conclusion, I don't think, is as warranted. Um, for anything, for, 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 for if anything, our impression would be that Paul should have given Mark a second chance, right? We, we love, we live in, in this nature of, of giving a second chance. We would probably think Paul was the one who was more harsh in sticking to his decision. So when the church of Antioch, or at least Acts, tells us that the church of Antioch commended Paul and Silas, they're simply saying, He's not wrong in going this direction. We're going to give our blessing to Paul and Silas in going on this trip. So it's very possible that this new alignment in the second missionary journey is really is ending with the blessing of the whole church in Antioch. So that this disagreement, even though ends in two separate trips, two separate teams, there's still a sense of unity. There's still a sense of blessing that happens in the church of Antioch. Oh, friends, when disagreements and fights happen because of our sinful desire, because our own worldly attitudes, how, men, how much debris and damage there often is. One way to see if, if a conflict or disagreement happens in a, in a God-honoring way is to see how much debris there is afterwards behind it. Sometimes people have been in in disagreements with other individuals or in, with, other, with other members in the church, in a local church, where they will never recover from the damage that has been done. And we don't see that here in Antioch. We don't see that in the relationships that, that Paul had, both with Barnabas and then with John Mark. In a fallen world, it's impossible. It's impossible to avoid disagreements. It's not the presence of disagreements or even the presence of separation that is the biggest issue. The biggest issue is what is behind the disagreements? Are you in a disagreement right now with anyone? Are you having a fight with anyone right now? Ask yourself two sets of questions. Is my disagreement caused by my sinful, self-centered desires of, or impurity of heart and mind? Why are you sticking so hard to your own views, to your own ways of, of going about it? Is it because of your sinful, self-centered ways? Now, you may not be the best judge to answer that question. And this is where you need other people to help you answer that. Other people will be better judges of answering that question for you. If you're in a heated conversation with someone, you're not a good judge of answering that question for yourself. And yet, you have to answer it. So, go ask someone, someone who knows you well and someone who's a mature believer, go ask them to help you assess yourself. Another set of questions is, ask yourself, do you have a common foundation of faith with the other person or with the other people? Faith in the gospel, a common focus on the word of the Lord, a common, a common desire. Both Paul and Barnabas had a common focus on the word of the Lord, 
They were preaching and teaching the same word. They had a common desire to help and strengthen churches. Their foundations were the same. Friends, if such a foundation is not present, if the desires are not the same, in such a situation, the deeper problem is not just a disagreement, but a different foundation. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you don't have a common foundation, you cannot have the unity of the gospel. So you, you want to examine if the foundations are the same. But again, none of these, these issues were problems between Paul and Barnabas. For them, these foundations remained the same, so they were able to disagree without causing relational debris and ministry damage. Where foundations, where the foundations are the same, people can find God-honoring solutions to move forward, even in the midst of disagreement and even in the midst of separation. There's still a bond. There's still a unity of relationships. And this disagreement was clearly seen when, when Paul in 2 Timothy tells Timothy to bring John Mark to him. Paul says about him, and I love the description. It's one of the, one of the greatest compliments that you can receive. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for the ministry. Do you see? Do you see that, 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 that common bond? So what do we get from this? Friends, in a fallen world, living with a corrupt nature inside of us, disagreements will happen. And even separation might happen. But can we engage in such disagreements without rupturing relationships, without disturbing the unity of the church, without causing damage to the ministry? Can we? That's a challenge. Caring for churches despite disagreement. Paul and Barnabas gives us both a warning that small things can get in the way. Small things can get in the way. But also a model. Don't make it personal. Don't let sin stain our disagreements and thus rupture the relationships and rupture the unity and rupture the flourishing of the body of Christ and help His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank You that Your Word is not just giving us ideal pictures, but it's also giving us real pictures of the fact that we live in a world where disagreements and even separation can sometimes creep in among believers, among the closest of partners. Oh Lord, I pray that You would, by Your Word, let this truth let this reality and, and the truth of your word shape us, challenge us, guide us. When we have disagreements, we might respond in a way that honors you. That we might protect the relationships. That we might protect the furthering of your kingdom. The unity and the, the, the grace that you have given to the church to show to a lost world. Oh Lord, we pray that even when we disagree we might show grace towards one another. And that the grace of Christ may shine in all our relationships, in all our circumstances. I pray that as a, as a congregation, we might be a place where people might see the unity and grace of, of Christ among us. I pray this in the name of God and Christ. Amen.